0: Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Well, I'm sorry to announce um, Pastor Jamie could not be here today. I know I sound like him. So you got a guest preacher. Why don't you make me feel at home and welcome me with an applause? That's good. Thank you, thank you very much. Didn't go well, all right, that's okay. Hey, I know some of you were really fooled by that, but guess what? I messed up my hair, but here I am, all right? It's really me, who's shocked? Uh, Now we get the golf clap. That's okay, that's all right, we can deal. Right? Now, um, I, I did that because, you know, sometimes we, um, boy, I really screwed that up, too. I ripped part of his poor guy. Um, so that's because I've been doing this all weekend, as you'll see. Uh, but, you know, we like to play make-believe, not just little kids, but we like to dress up, act like some of them are not, or goofy, or scary, or something like that, right? And, and we might even, some of you maybe love theater. My daughter, Grace, she loves theater. I love watching her in the plays. Um, she uh, loves especially to play the villain and loves to be angry and mean. And I love watching that because I can't imagine my daughter being angry and mean. Right? She loves it because it's the exact opposite of who she really is. Right? And, and that can be fun and there's no issue with that. But what we're dealing with today is something that's not so good. Right? And something God takes very seriously is spiritual masks or spiritual deceit, um, and, and how seriously God takes that. Now we're we're uh, I I'll, I'll throw up there um, probably the longest sermon title I've ever come up with. Right? I can barely read so many words. The sin God took so seriously, right, that He ended the life of two church members. Wow. This is a passage you don't see a lot of pastors choose to preach. It's when you go through a whole book or a whole section of a book, you can't skip, right? In fact, I read somewhere, I didn't research this, but I read that the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon himself, right, hundreds of transcripts are available of of his sermons, not one they have available of this text. That makes me more bold than Charles Spurgeon, not really. Um, I like to think he probably dealt with it. At some point, we just don't have a record of it. But, but it's because it's, it's hard. It's a lot of questions. Why like God killed two people? They, they weren't generous enough? Well, what happened? And if you've never read this story, you're about to see it. And it's sobering. But the source ultimately of this that I want us to see is not about how much you gave or what. It is deceit. It is intentionally putting a mask on that says, I want you and the church family to see me as better than I really am or see me doing something that I really didn't do for the applause of man. And that can just seem like, well, okay, that happens. But God clearly takes it really seriously. I want us to see why as we look at this together. All right? So since it's such a uh, kind of heavy story, it's an interesting one, but it's pretty heavy, let's, let's make sure we really pray together. Father, I... We we worship you, and and, and we are so glad for the opportunity um, so far to have sung praises with our worship team to you and prayers. And um, we're grateful for our kids who are downstairs, so grateful for our our, our teachers and, and those who are watching over our kids downstairs. Pray your blessings of patience and wisdom upon them. And we ask that for us today. That Lord, as we look at this, that we wouldn't just excuse it away, that we would see clearly where we might be guilty of this and come clean before you so that you might preserve the unity and integrity of your church, our family. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, so uh, we, we finished last weekend. So we've been going through, uh, we're not going to go through the whole book of Acts, but we're going through. Good portion, about half of it or so, um, and we finished chapter four last weekend. So that means um, chapter five. So if you're you're following along on the screen, you don't have to do anything. But if you do want to follow along in your Bible, you can open the chapter five, verse one. If you don't own a Bible or know someone who you want to give a Bible to, take one of those pew Bibles. Okay, we'll restock it. Just want to make sure I give you that invitation. It's not stealing. Take that um, or use it if you if you want to. Um, and, and as you're, you're turning there, you saw in the announcements. Um, the the need for help in our tech team, and I just really want to plug that. It doesn't mean you need to be an IT expert or a computer expert. You might have an interest in in, in media, social media. You might have an interest in um, camera work, photography, video, that kind of thing. There's all different ways you can plug in and help. Um, So see Steve after steve's uh he's here somewhere and he'll be uh, outside at the once he gets done playing because he's up here this weekend and, and just talk to him about what role you might be able to we definitely could use use help so um you don't need to be an expert we you can be trained and there can be an easy just be on time with the slides right that can be huge for us so um you know as as we 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 get to to this new chapter a lot of times we're used to in us uh thinking that it's like a new thought a new thing um but remember the bible is not written with chapters so the book of acts was just written and 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 you see the word but right it's a conjunction that means it's a continuation what happened at the end of chapter four we're going to now contrast here in the beginning of chapter five and if you were with us last weekend it ended with barnabas means encourager son of encouragement he's the prime example of the early church flourishing Right? He sold a piece of property, and he brought the proceeds to the feet of the apostles. And everyone's celebrating. He wasn't the only one that did that. He's just an example of a lot of people are doing that. And, and here we, we see a, a, a but. right? And, and, and what's going to happen is they're going to contrast with this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. But remember this book of Acts. It's all about the mission that Jesus gave. The mission of the gospel. Bring it to the ends of the earth. It seems impossible, but with the Spirit's power, you can do it. And we're seeing early in, in Acts, we're seeing it, it blow up as a mega church in Jerusalem. And we've seen the opposition from the outside, right? The council dragging the apostles in and saying, don't preach about Jesus that he rose from the dead. And they continue to. And we saw the summary at the end of chapter 4. They continue to flourish in the face of that adversity. And, and, and then Barnabas, and everything's going great, right? But 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 a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. So just like Barnabas did, right? Verse 2. And with his wife's knowledge, so they both knew it, right? He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and he brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he clearly got caught up. They got caught up in Barnabas and this, what's going on? They want to be a part of it, right? And, and so you, you first, you know, there's a lot of questions with this passage. Your first question might be, well, big deal. Like, I don't, like, if I sold a piece of property, I might give a portion of it to the church. I might give it to a missionary, but I'm not going is, is to, that, is that a sin that I don't give it all? No. The key here is I studied it, in verse 2, you see that little phrase that says, he kept back. That's the key. As I studied it and I read in the commentary, they said this is a very rare in the Bible Greek word that you see. Because that's, a, a uh, that's not a rare expression to hold back or to keep back. The Bible certainly has that in many places. But this Greek word is not used very often. There's a nuance to it. So I, I got nerded out a little bit and dove down deep What is it with this word. Why did Luke choose it? There's a nuance to it. That actually means to keep back for yourself something that isn't yours. It could be translated pilfer or embezzle. Have you ever heard of the word embezzle? Right, It means you, you secretly hold back what should be in the company's bank account and you put it in yours. And so that's what's happening. here. But if you go even deeper, okay, and I was just fascinated by this, but I think for the first two, I think some people are just going, all right? So just at least make it look like you're with me, all right? Um, Because it's this important. He chooses this word, this Greek word. You find it also in the Old Testament. Now, if you know the Bible, you say, well, Jamie, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, not Greek. And that's true. But as the generations went by and a lot of Jewish people got scattered and Greek became their first language, they translated it into Greek, just like we have our Bibles in English. And um, we have lots of manuscripts found, ancient manuscripts of the Old Testament translated into Greek. And so that translation, that the translators used the same word, rare word not used often, in Joshua chapter 7. And if you know what's going on, it's a very early, like it's after the wanderings of the wilderness, and it's a very early of God's people claiming his promise of the land. Right? And they went into Jericho when the walls fell down and they conquered it, right? And God gave very strict guidelines. When you go in, you're going to, you obey me, and you trust me. And normally, if you win a war, the spoils go to the victor, right? You've heard that expression? Well, God said, not with you. You're going to give anything you get when you win this to me. You're going to trust me fully. And so they're doing that, right? And they're in they're all these victories. Chapter 7 comes a man named Achan. And they win the battle. Achan kept back, same word, some of the spoils. Not that much in the grand scheme of things. In secret, you can think, well, who, who's going to miss this? Does God really need this? And he'll, holds it back. Next battle, they lose. Joshua starts to pray. God, what's the deal? You promised. And God says, well, get the thief out of your midst. And so they do this whole thing, and eventually it's found out that Achan has kept back what is God's, right? And so God judges him to death harsh judgment God stamps out spiritual deceit in his people early on as they claim the promised land and so Luke now early church also in claiming God's promise the Messiah all that comes with him uses the exact same word for Ananias and Sapphira as they gave some but they held back what is not theirs and so what we need to understand this is not about the amount This is about the fact they clearly told everyone that they were giving the full proceeds of their sale. And without telling anyone, they held back what they said was God's, and they made it look like they gave everything to God. That's the problem. It's not the amount. It's not the generosity. It's the deceit. It's trying to show their church family, look what we've done. We're like Barnabas too. And clearly Ananias, he's not with Sapphira at this point, right? Clearly he thinks, everyone's going to celebrate me. They're going to put a name, my name on a plaque. Put it somewhere, maybe call it the Ananias Fellowship Hall or something like that. But the reaction he gets is very different. Peter, discerning through the Holy Spirit, says this. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So Peter accuses him. Imagine if you're in an eyes. You just bring all this money. you're like, "Look at me, everybody." And Peter's like, "You're used of Satan. You lied to God." That's the two accusations. Could you imagine two worse accusations in a church as someone laid before you? You lied to the spirit of God, and you were used by Satan. This isn't just a lie. Even, and a lie is still sinful, but this isn't just a lie to your church members. This isn't a little deception. This is a lie, because when you lie to the body of Christ, you lie to the Spirit of God himself. That's serious. And you're used of Satan. That's what he says. You're actually combating the mission of God, because that's what Satan does, right? Like We just think of Satan as the boogeyman is hiding around trying to cause problems. Satan hates the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan hates God, and he hates his people, and he hates his mission. So he's going to come at, come at you. And he's always come up with two major routes for that. The first, we've already seen in Acts. It's opposition from the outside. And he still tries that. It very rarely works. In fact, when you notice, when a government comes against the gospel or Christianity or the church or the armies, what happens? The gospel flourishes. And that's what was happening in Acts. The second strategy, I think he has a lot more of effect doesn't oppose from the outside. He opposes from the inside. We see the New Testament, a lot of it is written against false teaching from those who are supposedly in the church teaching wrong things. Well, that's not what this is. This is deceit from the inside. Two people that are clearly held with respect within the church community, and they are being used, Peter says, by Satan to actually combat the mission of God. That's big stuff. Now, in verse 4, Peter continues. He's still talking. And I think he answers some of our questions. What is really the, the sin here, right? And it says, hey, Peter says, while it remained unsold, Ananias, meaning your property, did it not remain your own? I mean, it was yours. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. He says it again. This is different than, like, if you leave here, you go to Walmart, and you fill your cart, and then you have to fill underneath the cart, and you're pushing it through the line, and the person's not paying very much attention, and only rings up the stuff in your cart, and then says to you, anything else? And you go, nope. (laughs) You're stealing and lying. Both are sins, let's be clear. But this, Peter puts on a whole other level. When you deceive yourself to your church family, and you deceive yourself in your Christian walk, You're lying to the spirit of God himself and used of Satan. But here, what what I I think he clears up a lot. Because, you know, the questions we have is, man, isn't that a little harsh? Like, like he did give something. Like, I want, so so what Peter's saying is, this was yours. You didn't ever have to give anything. It would have been fine. Or, after you sold it, you could have said, hey, I'm going to give you some. Fine. The problem is the deceit. That's the problem. We're bringing it all. No one needs to know we didn't bring it all. That's the problem. I want you to see me bigger and better than I really am. I want you to imagine. It's my imagination. So this isn't how, we don't know how this actually played out. Most scholars believe that Ananias and Sapphira, their premeditation was from the very beginning. And I tend to concur with that. But let's put them in the best possible light to help us with this. Let's pretend they got caught up in the emotion of it all. They see Barnabas, and they see all that, and they're like, we're going to do it too. And everyone's like, woo! And let's pretend Barnabas sold his property in Cyprus, and he got hundred grand, and he brought it all. That's good. And in Isaac and Sapphira, they got a little bit better prime real estate, and they sell theirs for five hundred grand, And they're like, wow, that was more than we thought we were going to get for that property. And then they kind of, in the... Quiet moments of their home, and they start looking at their bills, and they're planning for the future, and they're like, you know what, Barnabas gave 100 grand. Why don't we give 400 grand? That's still four times what Barnabas gave, right? I mean, it's a lot. Let's do that. Is that the problem? Is the problem that they only gave a portion? No. The problem is, what if they had come and in and said, Peter, I have a confession to make. We 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 got caught up in our emotion. We got excited. We said we could give it all. We've been kind of looking at some things. We got 500 grand for this. We can afford 400. Um, we held back some, pay some bills. We're really sorry. Do you think God would have judged them for that? I don't think so. All right? What if they, they, uh, um, they, they, they got there and they had premeditated it and, you know, and then they just said, you know, we're just going to be honest. It's not all of it. Would they have gotten in trouble? I don't think so. The problem is the deceit. They wanted everyone to think we gave it all, and they didn't. And God takes that seriously, as we will see. Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear, reverence came upon all who heard of it. And the young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. That's when you're a young man in the church. You know when you get an email, someone needs to move. You're like, oh, I wish I was old with a bad back. They have to do this bearing. And it's, this is, like, there's a lot of questions around this. Like, they did funerals even more elaborate than we did. Like, this is quick. They didn't even tell his wife. Right? Boom. Done. And I don't know exactly how all this played out. This is the detail we're given. I just know that the, that the people who were present there saw the seriousness of God and were like, Whoa. Whoa. I know it's cachet in our culture to see God as a celestial Santa Claus that's sort of just there, and if you, if you do something wrong, he just says, they're there. It's okay. We say all the time, nobody loves you, including you, more than God loves you, but he loves you enough to warn you when something is serious, and God is serious about his church, his people, and his mission, and we need to know that, even if it's unpopular. We need to understand that, and that's what they were, the lesson they were learning Early on, as God isn't going to be messed with when it comes to this. And so they bury him, and he dies. I want you to remember that Acts is descriptive. And I know I've said this a million times in this series, and we'll probably say it a million more. Because we screw that up sometimes. We think it's prescriptive. So that means everything that happened to them happens to you. That's not the case, right? It's this historical narrative. It happened to them, right? So you, you might say, well, Jamie, this seems harsh. Listen, he's God. I don't know why he made this judgment. In this case, he knows. I can guess at it. The point is, not my business. But it also means just because you commit spiritual deceit doesn't mean God's going to kill you. I would hazard to say most of us wouldn't be breathing right now, huh? including me. And so there will be those times where he does that. So the principle is going to be not that you're going to die, but that God takes it seriously. We're going to see it again. Verse 7. An interval of about three hours. And Sapphira comes in, not knowing what had happened. She comes into church. She's like, oh, where's the plaque with my husband's name? Where's Ananias? I don't even even see Ananias. What's going on? And so Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And Sapphira said, yeah, that's true, for so much. That seems a little vague. Here's what I think is happening. All that money, cash, money back, whatever it is, it's at their feet. It's there, right? And, and, and Peter's like, hey, Sapphira, why are you in the back? Back row Baptist, right? Is this, this is the amount your husband brought? Is this what you sold it for? It's an opportunity, isn't it? For her to go, ooh, is that what that man said? I got to come clean here, Peter. That's only some of it. We had this bill. We didn't expect, she had, whatever. But what did she do? She continues with the deceit. Yeah, that's exactly how much we sold it for. Everyone in the room now knows the truth, don't they? And if you're there, you're like, where are those young men? they done yet? Almost. Verse 9. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Verse 9. Or, oh, sorry, that's what I read. Verse 9. Verse 10. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, just like her husband. Notice that she's at their feet now. A little bit of irony there, isn't there? When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, thinking, oh my goodness. Peter, please, enough funerals. Tired of digging holes. But, but you, know, it's, you know, I could chuckle a little bit, but in the end, imagine that. Like, we got a church gathering here, and you got your friends here, you got people you've done church with, right? All of a sudden, you know, they didn't just get some church discipline, they die. Like, think how you're feeling. Like, part of you's got to be like, whoa, okay, all right, let me just make sure I check myself, and that's exactly what happened. Look at the summary statement of this event. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So not just those in the room, but as the story got told, God early on stomped on spiritual deceit within his church. And, and all who heard, you know what that includes? You and me. You see, do you know how many events happen in the church, early church that we don't know about? Like, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things. But this, the Spirit wanted Luke to include. Why? Not to skip over and say, I don't really understand that. That's a little crazy for me. But to look at it and say, what does God want me to know? What's the truth? And the truth is this, that serious sin of spiritual deceit. Almost alliteration. had a lot of S's there. I thought about going with the word subderfudge instead of deceit. Maybe if I ever read a book, I'll use that. But I didn't want to say subterfuge that much. So you guys know what deceit means, and that'll work. That this is a sin of spiritual deceit. It is a mask that we put on. I want to be clear. This is not a mask that someone else puts on you. You don't need to live up to that especially if you're a leader or a church leader, or something like that, and, and people look at you as, as the perfect wife or the perfect dad or the, and you're like, I never said I was that and I've never tried to pretend to be that. They've just put that on me and if I fail at that, that's not on me. I just want to make sure, right? Because wh- what ends up happening is we can, someone puts a mask on us and then we try to live up to it and that's a problem. You need to just be like very honest. Hey, I'm glad you respect me. Just recognize I blow it all the time too. Here's how, Right? So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking when we do it. This can happen in big ways. And as we'll see, smaller, more subtle. In fact, I committed spiritual deceit this week myself. Not changed the energy in the room. I saw some. Oh, what? We take notes now. We'll get there, don't worry. But first, this can happen in big premeditated ways. When I was um, early years of marriage, our kids weren't around yet. They hadn't come to live with us yet. No, we hadn't had them yet. And we still lived in our house in Douglas. And I remember sitting on the, I was only a Christian a few years at that point. And we actually came, I don't know if all of you know that, but Heather and I came to this church. Um, And it was Saturday afternoon, and I was reading on our deck, and I was reading this book by Chuck Swindoll on the life of David. I loved his series on all the Bible characters. If you've ever read them, they're great. And I read a couple of chapters, and I was like, man, this is so good. Like, wow. Sunday morning, I come to church. And that was back when they still did the sermon outline in the bulletin, you know. And I looked at it, text, title of the message, everything. I was like, God is really trying to tell me something. I just read this. And then after the sermon, there's people in our church going, that was great. And I just thought to myself, yeah, it was great because Chuck Swindoll wrote it. He basically took those two chapters and he preached a sermon and he never said anything about who actually wrote that. Right down to an illustration of his daughter and a, a, a driving test that happened to Chuck Swindoll and his daughter. He said it was him. Now as an early Christian, think about that damage that could have caused me. Is everyone else is celebrating and I'm thinking, this is what this is? Can I trust anyone who's up there? I have a, a friend, some of you have preached here before, uh, David Forsyth, mentor of mine. He was helping a church that had to fire their pastor, and the reason they said was because someone uncovered for months he'd been preaching uh, John MacArthur sermons. Note to self, if you're going to steal sermons, don't steal one of the most famous pastors in the world, right? Do somebody a little bit more subtle. So they had to get rid of him because, I mean, that's just, right? So, so what happens in those big moments, and I know we don't have many pastors in the room, right? But, but what happens is we, we think the end justifies the means. That's what we think. Yeah, but it was a great sermon. Sure. I've known pastors who have said, guys, I'm going to preach this, not my outline. Charles Swindoll came up with it. Right? And I'm just going to preach it to you. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think. Right? You're just being honest. This is great. I want to give it to you. But, it, but it's not me. I don't want you to thinking, I came up with this. But when we do, without telling someone, what we're saying is, look at me. We want the applause of man, not God. By the way, Not that this has anything to do with my sermon, but this happened recently, so I want to point it out. A few weeks ago, if you were here, I had the sponges. You guys remember that? When something squeezes you, what comes out? Okay? Monday morning, very next day, it's my day off. I was mowing the lawn, listening to a sermon uh, by J.D. Greer. He's a church in North Carolina. He's a prominent pastor. And at the end, I, I was just listening to it. He says, you guys probably wonder why I have sponges up here. I'm like, his point was almost exactly the same I made. And I was kidding to myself, of course, like, ah, Greer's stealing my stuff now, huh? And then I looked at the date of the sermon. It was from March. So if you listen to Greer's sermons, please know I did not steal it from him. God gave that pretty obvious illustration to both of us, okay? Please. Um, But it can happen. But maybe for you, it's online. And I think it's great. If you're looking, we have enough junk online. If you put a verse to encourage people, I'm telling you, that's awesome. You put your Bible, you maybe you put a verse and you're like whole intense. I want people to be encouraged by God's word. Love it. Keep doing it. But if you you take the perfect picture of your Bible and you, you put, yeah, just laboring over Ecclesiastes today, and you spent five minutes on Ecclesiastes and an hour on your Instagram filters, that's deceit. What you're saying is, look at me. I read my Bible all the time. And you don't. And you don't think anyone, oh, it doesn't matter. It's still gonna encourage someone. It matters to God. Matters to God. So whatever it might be, you told your small group, uh, I, I, I memorize a different scripture every day this past week, and you did it three days. Three days is great. Say three days. Don't say seven. Right? And, and I say that because, and I already, I already teased this out. This past week, when I was uh, getting to the end and realizing this is what God, I was kind of excited. Oh, okay. Spiritual deceit, right? I'm praying about it. I'm reading, I'm studying it, right? And it was like, I don't know if you ever have this. He didn't audibly tell me. and I don't want you guys pulling me out of here. But it feels like he did. God said directly to me, that's right, Jamie, and you committed spiritual deceit today. And I was like, and I started thinking, I did. I had a meeting that morning with a guy who was struggling with some faith issues. I love meetings like that. And it went awesome. We had a great conversation and, and, and the whole thing. But in that, for whatever reason, I, I think I excused it away. said, well, I don't want to bring other people. I just, just wanted to keep it simple. I told this guy, right, that I said something to someone and it tried to, I'm, trying, I'm being intentionally vague because this is all confidence, right? And I, and, I, and I told him that it was me and it was really a few weeks ago someone had come in and asked me, hey, was this a good thing to say? I'm like, that's an awesome thing to say. So much so that I told this person that I'm the one who said it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, I didn't set it in my heart. I didn't sit, right? That person, that guy didn't walk out of here thinking I was way awesomer than I would have been. I just did it, and I didn't even, like, it was like, oh, why did I do that? There was no need to do that. So I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I confessed that sin. And he's like, That's, you're forgiven. Now go tell him. I'm like, is that necessary Exactly. He's not going to care. It didn't really matter to our conversation. He won't even mind. And it was like the Lord right? it was like, the point has nothing to do with how he reacts. It's what is right for you. How are you going to stand up there and preach that when you're not taking it seriously yourself? So just happened to be, which is pretty rare, seeing him the next day. And so we had a pretty awkward conversation. He said, don't worry, I won't mention you in the sermon, but I'm going to bring it up. And he said, put my face on the screen. I don't care, but we didn't do that. He didn't mind at all, praise God, right? Because he was like, that's fine, I understand, we all probably do it. I'm like, it's no excuse. You need to know that 100% of the time I am making an effort to be genuine and honest. It's something I try to pride myself with, and yet it happened. And so I say that, Not. Uh, it's a little embarrassing to say that, but I say that not to be false hum, humility, anything like that. So you can say, because some of you already thought, yeah, I, I, I've been really pretending. and need to confess before God, confess whoever you lied to, just go do it. But a lot of us are like, I don't really have a problem with that. I'll bet you do in just some areas that, that you're not thinking or you're excusing away or you're saying the ends justify the means. And if at any point you are pretending something to someone and you know you're not really there, you're not really doing that, take it seriously take it seriously. Why? As we saw, because God's response is serious. I don't think he's going to kill you, right? I'm not saying you're going to breathe your last, but what you gain from that is God's not just like, "Eh, no big deal. This is his church. This is his mission. So if God takes it serious, our response should be serious, right? Remember this is for people within the church community. Like, if you're here and you're not really, I don't, I don't really consider myself that, I'm, praise God you're here. All right, this, and I'm glad you're listening and all that. I just but This is not for you. This is for those of us who say, yeah, I'm a part of the church. I go to church, maybe go to a small group, serve on that ministry team, right? I'm part, I know people, people know me, I interact. It's for us. Ananias and Sapphira, we known in that church. Members of that church. One of the biggest questions that I know some of you are wondering Were they Christians? Were Ananias and Sapphira Christians? You ready for my amazing pastorly answer? I have no idea. (laughs) I tend to think no, because Satan gripped their heart. But if you're basing it just on their sin, I ain't going to say that, not being a Christian, because like I said, I've committed it myself. Not that exactly, but spiritual deceit. So we don't know. But I point that out. Because your spiritual deceit could be you're not a Christian, but you are really good at playing that game. Really good at it. Maybe you're in a Christian family, so you learned early on how to speak, what to do, what to say, what to sing, what to read. What to maybe you're in a Christian marriage, or maybe you just like the Christian community. Good people, love how, how people, I just like these people, and, so, and just kind of started playing the game but you're not born again in Christ. You've never actually put your faith in Jesus who died in your place. You're still trying to do it yourself and boy, what a mask that is. How much burden it is for you to carry your own Christian life. How beautiful it would be for you to take it off and say, Lord God, today, say I, I've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, but I'm going to today. I'm sick of the game, I'm sick of the pretense. Please, I wanna spend my time here growing in Christ, not pretending to be something I'm not. That could be you. What an opportunity. But for a lot of us, we're in Christ, and we have those little pieces, or maybe big, that we're pretending that this is an opportunity, not just today, but this this week. Show me, Lord, where I didn't even realize I was doing it. Because here's, here's how I want to, I want to close our, our time. I want us to see, based on this passage and some of my own experiences, right reasons we should take spiritual deceit seriously. Not just, eh, it was Swindoll's sermon, but hey, people liked it. It still probably uh, blessed some. I'm sure it did. Doesn't mean God's not serious about it. Number one, if you're a Christian, this should probably be all you need. It's a lie against God. I have some people say, well, is it really a lie if God knows? Because God, it's hard to lie to God. What if you've ever been a parent, you've had little kids, and you left them in a living room for about a half an hour, you know no one else is in the house, and you come back, and it looks like a Tasmanian devil just went through that place? And you're like, what happened here? And they're like, we don't know. 100% you know that's a lie. Does that make it not a lie? That just makes it a naive, kind of a dumb lie. Little kids are like that. Imagine how we are towards God, thinking God somehow doesn't know that we held that back. God doesn't somehow know that we're faking that. Of course he does. Remember, when we lie against God's family, we're lying against himself. And I don't know any Christian that says, yeah, I want that. And I also, number two, don't know any actual Christian that wants this. Yeah, I want to be on Satan's team, right? Right? Gosh, even if you're not a Christian, you're probably like, I don't want that. I mean, I'm not sure about the whole Jesus thing. But I definitely don't want to put on the uniform of Satan and be like, Woo-hoo, Put hoo Put the pitch, you know, get the pitchfork out and the horns. That's not real, but, you know, just play on the team. Come, w- w- whenever you're doing this, we're about to see why. You actually combat the mission of the gospel when you are deceiving. I don't know any of us want that. That's what happens. Why? Well, here's what I think. Uh, One of the main reasons this combats the gospel is we're not fully known. And guess what? When you're not fully known, you aren't known at all. You put the mask on, you're projecting to people something that's not true. Therefore, you don't get the blessing of actually letting them know you, knowing where you need prayer, knowing where you need help, where you need strength. Advice, counsel, support. No, got it all together. Got my mask on. Right? And you're not known. Now here's what I, 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 like, this is not saying that every single one of us needs to be known by every other one. That's not even safe for you, okay? But what people do know of you should be honest. That's what I'm saying. They're not going to know every detail. I hope you have a few people in your life who do. But, but you know, they're not going to know every single thing about you. But what they do know, is it honest? Is it really who you are? That's what we're saying. Because when it is, you can let them in. But when it isn't, when you put the mask on, number four, what happens is we don't allow others to be fully known. Because you know how the game is, right? If someone comes to your small group and you're like, they're like, man, they're thinking, they're thinking to themselves, oh, I barely can focus on the Bible five minutes a day. And they hear you go, I read the Bible three hours a day. They're going to go, right? Instead, right, like if, if you're just honest where you're at, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm struggling. Can we pray for each other? How, let's help each other, right? But if, but if you put the mask on, other people feel like they got to put the mask on. Now we all got masks. All playing at this game. Imagine if I stood up here and I put a mask on and I said, here's what spiritual deceit is, church, and I have conquered it. And I want you to as well. You'd probably be like, Ugh, I feel intimidated to tell Jamie. But instead, I got up here and said, I screwed it up this week. All right? I didn't, that wasn't dishonest. That happened. And hopefully you're like, well, he admitted it. I can too. Why not? I can come clean. Because I want you to spend what little time you have, what little time we have, growing in Christ, not pretending to be in Christ. Because what happens is when I'm not fully known and you're not fully known, what happens is, number five, is we create a fake church environment. And if you've been around long enough, you've been in one of those. Outsiders will come in and be like, these people are creepy. Creepy. They all look the same. They got the same plastic smile on their face. They dress the same. They say the same. They have the same Bible under the same arm. Wow, what's going on here? Right. But instead, we want an environment where what we care about is growing one degree of glory at a time, in that process, and helping each other, and spending the time doing that, and saying, you know what. I don't know what to do with my kids right now. And someone else saying, oh, I remember those days, man. Here's what I did. Let me pray for you, right? And instead of being like, I got it all together. I'm a perfect father. My kids are perfect. Just don't come to our house and watch. And now you're over there going, okay, well, I'm not perfect. So let's all just pretend we're perfect at a distance. And I got to go get non-Christian friends because at least I can be myself around them and that's a terrible environment. It's the exact opposite of what God wants, and that's why he stomped on it, I believe, so early. Don't be someone you're not, Ananias and Sapphira. Because what happens in a church like that is what the end of chapter four can turn ugly quickly, and it ruins integrity and unity. There's no unity when you don't actually know people. You know their weaknesses, you know their faults. There's unity in that, remember? In our diversity, there's unity. And what happens with not being able to trust each other is you have a, a church then where the gospel mission is poisoned. That mission gets poisoned. Now listen, we know the end. God wins. The victory is Jesus. That's happening. I'm not saying we can stop that. We won't. I'm just saying are we going to be a part of it? That's the question. If God not going to use us, he's going to use someone else. How many churches sitting around arguing over dumb lack of eternal perspective things because they've lost unity and not all of it but a lot of it goes down back to that spiritual deceit you came in and you saw plastic veneer people and you just joined the club and now you're arguing over who puts the flowers where and the mission of the gospel of a dying world isn't going forward through us and we will not let that happen that instead The gospel mission will flourish because we're willing to be who we really are. Do you know how much it helps people when you're just honest? And you just say, yeah, there's times where I feel lost. I know I'm not. I know God's there, but I don't feel it. Instead of saying, no, I never feel that way. I always feel good. I never lack faith. Put your mask on. It just makes other people go, ooh, I guess I don't belong here. And on and on it goes. And so it boils down, here's what I want, because I know, I know it's hot, and we don't have a lot of time left, I'm going to give you an opportunity, I'm going to pray for you and for me, but I want to ask you, in your prayer life this week, to give some space to asking God, is there an area I'm not seeing? I'm, we live in a world where most is fake, <laughs> just, it just is, it's all online and texting and filters and you never know what's real, right? So it's hard for that not to seep into our lives, and put on that. So sometimes, like happened to me, you're like, "Wow, I did that. I didn't even realize it was it just was like, whoa, it just happened. How scary!" So ask God, give God space, and it hurts a little, but then the healing is so beautiful and freeing, and then I love that knowing. Yeah, I'm gonna screw up, but God is so good, and He's still gonna use me. Man, that's good. That takes the pressure off me. I'm not performing here. I'm just trusting him. And you can ask him to do the same for your life. So let's start with this prayer. We're going to invite our worship team forward. I want you, if you can, if you're not looking at a child or something, to bow your head with me. Breathe and let's pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, O oh Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are in this room or online with us, Would you bring to bear something in our life that we know we're being deceptive? You know it. We know it. Whatever it might be, show us. And Lord, give us the freedom of forgiveness found in Christ. We can lay it at your feet and have it be dealt with right now and today. And Lord, give us the courage to confess it to those we've lied to or deceived. Give us that courage, Lord. Father, I pray for the miracle of your spirit in this coming days, weeks, months. That it'll be a regular part of our prayer life with you and life in your word that you would show us where we're being even a little bit deceptive. Kill it before it happens in us, Lord. We don't want to lie against you. We don't want to be a tool of Satan. We don't want to be someone who actually combats the gospel. We want, Lord, so desperately to be a part of what you're doing in this world. Use us for your glory. And so kill spiritual deceit as the seed begins in our heart and our minds and our lives. Show us clearly. Lord, lastly, I pray for anyone who walked in the room pretending to be a Christian, or maybe they walked in not pretending to be a Christian, that today you can open their eyes and their ears and their hearts to the gospel. I know that I can't convince them into heaven, but your power, your salvation, that you, Jesus, died in their place, you rose in victory, give them the faith to believe, to just say, Jesus, save me. Help them know that they don't save themselves through religion or through works or learning to write words or passages, but by trusting Christ that today would be their day, Lord. Oh, we celebrate with the angels in heaven for any soul who was lost and is now found. And we celebrate you, Lord Jesus. You are the name above all names. We once were lost, but now we're found. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, church, stand and worship him who deserves it with me. Let's, let's sing.